this month we're devoting every service to teaching on the cross. And we're going to today and next week talk about the purpose of the cross. Then we'll get into the statements that Jesus made directly from the cross. There were seven of them, and they're profound statements, and we need to to look at those individually. But uh, today we're going to talk, and we're going to start talking about the the purpose of the cross. Now, I've been involved with the antiques for over 30 years and uh, was taught early on to appreciate fine things. I like nice things, fine things. And to you, it might not be fine, but to me it is, and to Kathy, it, it is. But uh, I took my keys down to the airport, and on the way back, I stopped at an antique mall, and and uh, I get very disappointed, and I get actually get very disgusted in what I see anymore. And and Julie, don't be offended by what I'm about to say, because this does not apply to you. Everything you do is of good quality. But I go in, and I see items that are repurposed, and they sell them as antiques. And they'll take parts from one thing and apply them to something, and then they'll call it an antique. And all I see predominantly anymore when I go looking for fine things is junk, repurposed items, and, and uh, just things that really don't have value. And uh, it, it, it is, it's upsetting. You know, antique malls are not called antique mall slash reproduction and repurposed items for sale. You don't see that on a sign because and people aren't going to walk in because serious buyers aren't going to want to buy repurposed items or reproductions. Many naive and apathetic buyers are taken of, taken advantage of because they are satisfied with a cheap imitation of a genuine article or a genuine antique. Many naive and apathetic buyers are taken advantage of because they're satisfied with those repurposed items. They're satisfied with someone taking parts from one thing and putting them on another. I went through a mall, and I didn't come out with anything, but I saw this cupboard, and it was, I would have bought it, but I, I, I've learned through the years to stand and look at something because too many times you can buy things. If you ever bought something, then you got it home and thought, oh, why did I buy that? And I looked at it, and I looked at it, and handled it, and stood back, and then I recognized what was wrong with it. It was all oak, and they'd put a pine molding on the base. And if I had bought that for over $200, I had to, would have had to tear that off and put an oak molding on and put the right part on it. But, but see, people don't care. They'll take parts. They might not even match, and, and, and they'll think, oh, it's just fine. It's hunky-dory. It's, it's an antique. No, it's not. Now, let me make this statement, and you'll understand what I'm saying. Christians today have settled for a cheap imitation of the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. Christians today have settled for a cheap imitation of the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't care if the parts or doctrine is wrong. 
as long as it tickles their ears, as long as it tickles their fancy. And I'm saying this and and giving you, laying some groundwork here because we're going to look at the cross because not everybody, you know, that looks at this cross sees the big picture. They look at the cross for what they can get out of the cross. Their sins forgiven. Be born again. become, Become a part of the body of Christ. And that's all they see. And I want you to understand there's more to the cross than your sins that are forgiven. Don't say blasphemy. It's the truth. And you're, by the time we're done today and tomorrow, you're going to see you're going to see the whole picture, the big picture, and not just the parts. Because too many Christians are interested in parts. I'll be honest with you, and I say this sincerely. And I'm going to read from my favorite book, other than the Bible. No other book has changed my life more than this book here. This little paperback book. And I'll never forget, and I say this because um, I was reading this book. Pastor Brad and I went back east and flew out to the Detroit area to go to uh, Dr. Gant and Bob Lemon's meetings. And and, uh, on the way, I've told this story, but to me, I'll never forget this. I was sitting in the very back. You know where the bathrooms are in a plane? My back was against the bathroom. That's as far back as you can go unless you want to go sit in the bathroom. And I got to the point of, of this book. I was reading it. It was on the way home, and the, the chapter was entitled, and there it is, I marked it, The Need for Balance. And I just read that. When the stewardess comes to me and says, Sir, we need to have you go to first class. Because of balance of the plane. Yeah. And so my lightning fast mind, I recognized God was speaking to me. And so she took me to first class. Served me champagne. I didn't have champagne. And I sat in first class and thought, what are you trying to tell me? the need for balance. And today I'm I'm telling you there's a need for balance. So we understand what this cross is all about. I'd ask you, and I I thought of this today, how many of you own the Passion copy of it? I'd encourage you to watch it. I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, it's bloody and gory and, you know, Jesus in that, uh, the portrayed Jesus is one of my top actors of Hollywood. He's a Catholic. He's good, though. Watch it. And if you don't, how many of you don't, have never seen The Passion? You've never seen it? Okay, then you need to get it. Some, somebody needs to, do you have a way of playing a, uh, a DVD on your TV? No. Well, you need to watch it. Now, listen to this. 
there is nothing so likely to lead to error or heresy as to start with the parts rather than the whole, said Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Remember, Christians are interested in parts. They want the faith message. They want the prosperity message. They want the healing message. They want this message. He says, would that every believer understood the importance of that profound observation. Never before has the church been so bombarded with such an infinite variety of parts. A visit to the local Christian bookstore will reveal an almost limitless variety of topics, each vying for your attention and money. The shelves are sagging under the weight of new books, everything from diets to depression and fitness to faith. It's truth. No wonder the average believer has little sense of direction or purpose. Ignorant of the whole purpose of God He stands bewildered among the parts. For many, the local church has become an alternative to the country club. Membership is easily gained through baptism and tithing. Few ever stop to ponder the reason for the church's existence. Content to attend a bare minimum of meetings, these believers settled into apathy and boredom, indifferent to their true purpose and calling, as if indifference and apathy are not enough to hinder most Christians on the road to maturity. Strange winds of doctrine are also blowing all about us. Every year it seems a new seminar superstar arrives to the center stage with his guaranteed formula for spiritual success. Backed with slick advertising, glossy manuals, and dynamic personalities, these self-anointed oracles of wisdom convince many immature believers that they, at long last, have discovered the answer to all the believers' spiritual problems. The promised results of such programs are usually short-lived. God never intended the part to replace the whole. If we're going to press on toward maturity, we desperately need to return to rightly dividing the word of God. Only the whole counsel of God produces whole Christians. Anything less is spiritual deformity. Look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. This is where the Ephesian elders are being exhorted. And uh, Paul basically saying a goodbye. Great, great passage of Scripture here. But I want you to look at um, verse 27. Well, let's start with verse 24. It says, but none of these things move me. Now, this, this, this scripture to me applies to Mike Keyes and Stephen Retode. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of, of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Wow. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Wow, that's pretty profound too, because didn't he persecute Christians? 
But look at verse 27. This is what I want you to see. I'm in chapter 20 of Acts. For I have not shunned to declare to you the what? The whole counsel of God. Now look at verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, Harvest Church, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also from among among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, I want you to see, he did not shun... declaring the whole counsel of God. And then it goes on to say, take heed. In other words, you need the whole counsel of God in these last days because of all the deception that is out there. There are people out there to deceive you. I'll tell on my wife what she did. They're hitting the streets now with their tracks. The Jehovah Witness. And so my wife's at the kitchen window, and she looks, and there she come, There She saw the gal coming. And so her lightning-fast mind said, this is what I'm going to do. Our dog is a big lab, and our dog, anytime comes to the door, if it's a stranger, whoo, 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 just loud. And so she thought to herself, I'm just going to let the dog take care of it. And so the woman came and knocked on the door, and our dog, Gage, just went right to the front door because the screen door was, the main door was open. So, and she just, she, Kathy couldn't see her, but she said she could hear frantically putting her tract in the door, and off the, down the street she went. That's how you deal with Jehovah Witness. Now, I dealt with it a different way. I just told them I speak in tongues, and they went, ah, and they went running down the steps. So that's how you do it. Dog or tongues, one or the other, will take care of people trying to deceive you. But they're out there. That's why you need the whole counsel of God. And when you think of whole counsel, it means pure gospel. Say pure gospel. Say every part. The whole purpose and plan and counsel of God, that's what we need. Look at 2 Timothy 5. And I'll get into talking about the the cross here eventually. We want the real thing, don't we? We don't want any repurposed cross, do we? A reproduction? No, we want the real thing. We want the whole counsel of God. Second Timothy 4 and verse 1, it says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his, his, at his, appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their what? Own desires. Because they have what? Itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. The danger of 
sound doctrine. People having itching ears. Now, I got to, and I alluded to this earlier, and I didn't finish. When we started and got into the things of God, Kathy and I, early on in ministry, into the faith movement, and there's, how many of you know, I'm not coming against faith, but there were some things very wrong with the early days of the faith movement. They got into a ditch concerning money. And if you were brought up in the faith movement, you'll understand prosperity message. Yeah, God wants you, we need, but we need again balance. Everyone say balance. But in the ditch concerning some things. And we got caught up in that and to a degree because we were following and looking at ministers that were so caught up in this prosperity thing. And don't take it wrong, I, I believe in prosperity. Why? So God can bless us so we can bless others. Not just prosperity to heap things up for yourselves. So people can get caught up into the part, one part of, of the gospel, instead of seeing the big true picture. And Stephen Ratoad and Mike Keyes were here, and they gave you a bigger, broader picture. They weren't here just, to, you know, to pad their pocketbook. And I gave you, and I told you the example when Stephen gave away half of his, his uh, uh, offering for someone else. That tells you something. They see the big picture. He goes on to say, How desperately we need a new understanding of God's eternal omniscient perspective. The church is being swamped with a wave upon wave of popular appealing doctrines. Few want to hear about tribulation, discipline, sacrifice, or suffering. What they talk to you about this last weekend? While the church grows fat, lazy, and indifferent to its real role in the earth, not this church, not this church, every year new Advances are seen in the enemy's strategy. Islam continues to forge ahead with its militant zeal. For world domination, cults increase, preying upon those who, thirsting for enlightenment, are content to drink from polluted springs. If we're to correct our gross errors and deficiencies, the church must gain an understanding of the mind of God from the beginning. Everyone say beginning. What was God's intention for mankind? Why did he create us in the first place? See, and uh, until we understand that, we're not going to have a true appreciation for the cross. Everyone say beginning. Why was man created in the first place? Look at Colossians 1. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. So let's look here for a second at the big picture. Why were we created in the first place? Why were you created? Why was I created? What's the role of the church, the body of Christ? In Colossians 1.16 it says this, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. 
Now, we're, not, we're in agreement that he created all things, aren't we? In the beginning, God spoke everything to in, into existence. All things were created what? What's it say? Through him and for him. Okay, that's a clue. Now look at Revelation 4. Revelation 4. And verse 11. It says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created, for you created all things, and the King James says, and for what? Thy pleasure, they are and were created. You and I were made for him. We were created for his pleasure and his purpose. Say, I was created for his pleasure and for his purpose. Now look at Genesis 2. I'm not going to get through all this today. We'll quit here in a minute. I want you to have a new appreciation of the cross. That's why we're going to take our time and, and go through this and understand the purpose of it. In Genesis 2 and verse 15, we can see the the threefold purpose for man. Genesis 2 verse 15, then the Lord took the man and what? Put him in the garden of Eden. Why? To tend and keep it. So here we have the Lord took the man that implies submission. Put him into the garden, that's man's location. And then number three, to cultivate it and keep it, that's man's vocation. Man, as God intended, was originally under submission to his divine authority. Was not in Adam and Eve. Originally created, you know, for submission to God's authority. Man was placed in the location of God's choice and given the vocation that God intended him to have in order to serve his purpose. So what I'm saying basically, it's all about what God did, not about what man did. There's no thought here of man determining his own course of action. Only after the fall, everyone say after the fall, seeing After the fall, things changed. Only after the fall do we see man living independently of God, trying to fulfill his own selfish plans and desires. And that's what I'm saying. Too many people look at the cross for what they can get out of it. Not a true understanding of the whole picture, the big picture of God, Isaiah 53, 3, 6 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That's prophetic. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. What do you think it is now in the body of Christ and the church today? Gone astray each to his own way, trying to fulfill his own desires, and that's wrong. In order to truly understand the purpose of the cross 
as it relates to God's intention for man, we must realize that because of the fall of man, our understanding of the cross has been misunderstood. Man now looks at the cross and says, what can I get out of it? What has the death of Christ accomplished for me? Why did Christ die? Ask yourself that. Why did Jesus Christ die for you? For most Christians, the reason Jesus Christ died for them was to remove their sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, And is that wrong? No. Jesus did take away. He is the spotless Lamb of God. He did take away the sin of the world. Did he not? So if I were to ask you that, most of you would, you would have spoke up and said, what, what's the purpose of the cross? Why did Christ die for me to take away my sin? How many of you would have said that? But that's not all. And I'm going to leave that with you today. That's not all. And this is a scripture. Never thought about this. If God is so interested in our sin, then why does the Bible say, as far as the east is from the mess, as far as the east is from the west, I've removed your transgressions from you. God is not in the business of collecting sins. Why Christ? Why did he endure the cross? Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And that's true. And that's man's benefit. But I want to leave you today with, there's also the God side. What's God's benefit? Look at Romans 14. Romans chapter 14 and verse 7. Romans 14 and verse 7. I'll read a few couple scripture. It says here in verse 7 of chapter 14 of Romans. What's God's side? Man's side is their sins are forgiven, and that's a good thing, isn't it? In verse 7 it says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And for to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Look at Titus. I'm almost done. Titus. After 2 Timothy, Titus chapter 2. Let's look at verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope, blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself, what, for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself 
his own special people zealous for good works. God desires man for himself as his own possession, his own special people. God is concerned, and this this is really should make you feel good, God is concerned about his creation, not just their sin. That's why we should, as Christians, we call him our Lord and Savior. Yes, he's our Savior, saved us from our sins, but he's our Lord. And most Christians do not have an understanding of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Revelation 5, 9 says he's redeemed or purchased us to God. Purchased us to God. Many Christians have a shallow understanding of the cross of Christ. They're concerned about making a quick trip to the altar, putting their tithe in the offering, attending church when they can. But they fail to see the importance of the lordship of Christ. So as we look this month and we talk about the cross, yes, thank God he is the spotless lamb who came to take away our sin. Don't ever forget that. But let's go a step farther and realize that we have been purchased with his own special sacrifice, his own blood. We're the purchased of God. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law, and we are his. We belong to him. Look at um, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but you should be glad I'm giving you the scripture and not my opinion. Oh, I'll give you my opinion. You've heard that enough. But this morning you're getting the Father's opinion from his word. You've been purchased by the precious blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are not your own. And that's what 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Say, I'm not my own. For you were bought at a price, and that's the price right up there, Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your spirit, your body belongs to him. You and I are basically no longer slaves of sin, but slaves of righteousness. We belong to him. And until we have that understanding of his lordship, We're still going to be selfish, and we're going to think, what can I get out of church? What can the church do for me? What can the cross do for me? When in all reality, it should be, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Your will be done in my life, not my will. Didn't Jesus pray that? Not my will. Didn't he say, I only do those things that please the Father? So the same Christ that is in you, if you're truly born of 
his life and his love, and he resides on the inside of you, you're a new creation, you and I should live our lives daily under submission to him, his lordship, doing what he wants us to do, saying what he wants to say, what he wants us to say, going where he wants us to go. It's not about me anymore. It's not about Nate. It's not about Dan Repke. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why did Christ die upon the cross? He has to take away our sin, but to reestablish lordship. In other words, whatever you want us to do, Father, as a church, we're going to do it. Whatever you want me to do as a believer, Lord, I'm going to do it. It's not about self any longer. It's about what he wants. Amen? Let's stand up this morning.